You are listening to the Nurturing Birth Doula Podcast, where we aim to dispel the myths, debunk the stories, and help people better understand the role of the doula in the 21st century. I am your host, Sophie Brigstock, owner of Nurturing Birth and course facilitator, and I invite you to grab a cuppa, pop on your headphones, and listen in as I chat to doulas, birth keepers, and nurturing birth friends about all things perinatal. Welcome everybody to the Nurturing Birth Doula podcast. I'm Sophie Brigstock and I am so thrilled to be joined today by the wonderful Marius Griffin, a doula who is based in Ireland. And I'm going to hand over to Marius straight away to to introduce herself and tell us a little bit more about how did you become a doula? Well, hello Sophie. Um, (laughs) I, uh, Brave New World, we're in here, kids. Nice to meet you. Um, (laughs) I gave birth first in 1991, and I was fortunate enough to have a friend who was training as a midwife, which at that time in California, which is where I was, was illegal. Wow. Get around that, kids. Midwifery was illegal. Wow. Um, But she was in training in underground, and she asked to be my doula for the birth to be there and we were childhood friends and um I said sure let's do that and she turned out to be absolutely the core of that birth feeling as good as it did because it had a lot I actually had to drive two hours in labor oh my goodness windy hills to get to my illegal midwife (laughs) and um uh yeah no seriously there's a story there but she was amazing and she held space for me like nothing else. Mm. She didn't do anything, but she, because when we got to where I was going to give birth, the midwives were still 20 minutes out. Wow. And, um, I was so ready. I had been having contractions and she locked eyes with me and held me with breath because the midwives on the phone had told her, don't let her do anything till we get there. Mm. I couldn't have made that without that person. So learning what that connection can do, you know, that was a miracle. And then I went off and had all kinds of life going on and two more children in Ireland by home birth. So both, you know, good births, but no doulas. But somehow I had assumed that the doula world had just grown and grown and grown and was everywhere and everything until I went to start looking it up again and discovered that wasn't true. Cause I had decided when I was younger that I would like to think about it but only after my own kids weren't kids yeah, anymore. So I found you, I found your nurturing birth and I found the last live thing before lockdown, not the yes. yeah. <laughs> the last live teaching space before lockdown, but it um, started on my birthday and I, and it was in Belfast um, where I spent a lot of time in Belfast and in Cork, which is why it's Marius Ireland. Yeah. Not, <laughs> kind of a bi-coastal lifestyle. Um, But I thought, well, it doesn't get any more opportune than that. And I really liked what the website had to say. And I really liked everything about it. So I signed up and decided to go because, you know, I had spent a few decades thinking about it. Felt fairly confident. Yes. That's what I wanted to do. But the truth is, I was right. Younger me would not have been able to do what I know and understand how to do as a doula now. Mm. So you said that your your illegal midwife offered to be your doula. I mean, did 
Was that the word that was used? No, 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 no. It was my friend who was training to eventually uh, become a midwife. So I okay. had, I actually had three midwives that worked as a team. So there were two there. Wow. Plus the doula. Yeah. Um, and that was, I, I have to say, I think one of the most upsetting discoveries of my training and of being a doula is actually learning how few women experience the kind of birth I have because mm. I did have two very not fun births. I wouldn't describe them as fun. The first one was absolutely splendid in its bizarrety and fabulousness. The second one was not hard, but it was emotionally hard because I was away. I was well aware that my grandmother would never hold my baby. I was far from home. It was the mm. immigrant's dilemma. Yeah. How do you, how do you know, what's even a home birth if you're on a wrong continent? Yes. Yes. Um, And the only good thing that comes from that time for me is that when I hear about immigrant stories, I do not have a cushy, soft lack of understanding of how hard that is. Mm. It's it's hard. Even if you're white and come from America, it's hard. Mm. What you lose when you immigrate is hard. So that was an emotionally challenging birth but I still felt completely in control and supported and then the third one was a physical car wreck in a lot of ways there were lots of complications but still managed to do it the way I wanted and still felt supported and in control of myself as if at no point I had given up control of myself yeah yeah so it sounds like you have a wealth of experience of, of birthing on two different continents yeah (laughs) <laughs> with different different types of, of support and to to know I mean coming I, I literally cannot get my head around the fact that it was illegal oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. in California right. in what was it 1991 did you say 1991 and it was illegal I mean, for a while longer after that wow yeah you guys and, live in a different medical planet <laughs> knowing knowing you as I as I do you are an an incredibly passionate person about birth, about childbirth, about pregnancy, about the support that parents need. And, and that makes such sense when you're talking about birthing in Ireland and being so far from home, despite the fact that you had home births. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and what your... Um, you know, what, what draws you into being a doula now? How, how do you like to doula? Oh, it's, I think that it, for me, that, you know, the one fundamental thing that has to happen, because I don't think that dueling is restricted, because, you know, right at the moment, I'm not and haven't been taking on direct clients, but that doesn't mean I haven't been a doula. Yeah. Um, Because I, you know, I support people doing really hard jobs in the last two years, teachers and nurses, and friends and other doulas. And I recognize that what I'm doing in those times, paid or unpaid, is being a doula. It means to be present. It means to hear where someone is and respond to it the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and for me, being a doula really is just being a good human. (laughs) Honestly, I think if we were all good at this, we would be on a different planet right now, as far as what would be happening. If everyone, if support was valued. Yes the way that it should be valued in a rational, physiological, this makes sense kind of sense, there would be less need for us as a professional because we would still be living in ways that support each other. But as we've 
gone on with industrialization and technology, what we seem to have sacrificed is what I think is actually part of our natural habitat. Mm. We're an interdependent species. Yeah. We're not meant to be alone, doing stuff alone, able to do everything our lone selves. That's a terrible myth. Yeah. So it's connectivity and, and community. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, just connection, connection, yes. support, the bond, people that you're familiar with that you can depend on. And I was really startled to see how many women give birth with a total stranger, with someone they've never met before in the hospital system. And this is alarming because we know from all of the evidence, as well as all of the experience, as well as history, that that's not good. No, no. Exactly. There was some extraordinary statistic. Um, I think it was probably in the birthplace study back in 2016. But I know also, um, I think it was the Women's Institute did some research, which which showed some horrifying statistic, like well over 80 percent of people birth yeah. with with a professional they have never met before. And when con continuity of care is highlighted as one of the fundamental most important things that people need when they are birthing and you know that comes that's not just in labor that's from the pregnancy isn't it so getting to know your care providers is so important but yet over 80 percent well over 80 percent of people have never met their midwife before in labor and how are you supposed i mean midwives do an incredible job of building rapport with people in a very short space of time but yeah. how, are you, how are you meant to do that when someone physiologically is in labor, heading into labor land and, you know? Do you know, it, it's not possible. It's, I think that, unfortunately, the, the comprehension of the intimacy and power and, you know, magnitude of birth in the human context has been replaced by the medicalization of birth. Mm-hmm. So it's the context that we actually, as societies, look at birth in have changed completely. Yeah. Do you know? And so if it's a medical, you don't need to know your surgeon. You don't. You don't. No. So if you think of birth as a medical procedure, you're going to treat it one way, but it's not. Do you know? It's not. It's an intimate huge experience that's going to have ripples that spread out from it yeah you know and and we just don't seem to have you know it that I remember years ago reading a book um oh lord can't remember the author right now but it'll <laughs> it'll come oh Ballard J.G. Ballard you know because I was being young and pretentious very hip and I'm, <laughs> I, I was reading Ballard in the 80s but the one thing that's really stuck from the work was the story of an old man walking through a post-apocalyptic landscape um, with his grandson talking about the old world and they come across a clock because clocks have been banned. And he, the man says to his grandfather, I understand why we banned guns, but why did we ban clocks? And he goes, well, son, if you can, if you have a clock, you can time how long a man takes a man to do something. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, and then you can make him do it faster. Oh, yes. Yes. And, and we talk quite a lot, don't we, about the focus on numbers in birth. You know, you're not progressing quickly enough. You're yeah. not doing it according to our spec, the clock, you know, and we're not robots. We don't we we are. All no, we're organisms. Yeah. And you would think that heal people in the healing profession 
would better understand us as an organism, but the pressures of industrialization, pharmaceuticals, corporates, times and dates and stuff, and just what they have to deal with unsupported, because it's, you know, it's dire. You look at the whole medical, you know, every, the staff, they are unsupported. Yes, yes, yes. They are at the bottom of a pointy pyramid of pressure. Absolutely. And that's, that's, been really prevalent recently with March with midwives and yeah the so many midwives leaving the profession and I mean I, I don't envy I don't I honestly don't know how they do it and I know that I absolutely could not work in that way it just it's not sustainable at all you know mental health wise and and you know you hear so many stories of compassion fatigue well, of course, of course, there's compassion fatigue. If you're working 13, 14 hour days without any kind of break at all and not having the opportunity to process what you've witnessed, birth is incredible. And also whatever it is like, you need somewhere to be able to go and to, to release that, to, to share it, to offload. So you're not carrying it into the next experience and the next and the next and the next. But that leads to one of the weirdest unexpected experiences of becoming a doula that I have had Mm -hmm. is that as soon as I announced to friends, which was before pandemic, so people were still socializing. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I'm finally doing it. I'm in a, I'm doing the doula training. I'm in doula training. And instantly women around me began to unpack their birth stories. In fact, it really deepened a friendship for which I'm grateful. Yeah. Actually someone with, for whom my being American was off-putting for <laughs> like more than a decade. Um, and she's somebody I very much admire, but we were, had both gotten out and she intimidated me because she was younger. And in my opinion, more accomplished than shit I wanted to do. But we had a conversation about her birth. Um, which is 20, you know, no, at that point, 17 years before that she had not been able to unpack with anybody in that time, you know, in the corner of a party. Oh yeah. 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 Uh-huh. I mean, but that's the thing. My birthday it? party. Oh. And, and no, it's cool. It actually was cool because it didn't take up all my time and I didn't, and I know how to give my, and I was fascinated because it was more deep intimacy than we'd ever shared. Yes. But suddenly my training to be a doula gave her permission mm-hmm. to take this big thing. She needed somebody to see. Yeah. Yeah. And bring it out into the open and show me. That's an honor. Absolutely. I find that every I mean, you're right. Pre pandemic, you know, the idea of socializing, it, it seems like a long gone thing. But um, <laughs> but, you know, going places when people asked me for the first time what I did and I explained and most people were like, what's a doula? I've never heard of that before. Um, but once I explained, the conversation didn't deviate. It was, it just stayed focused in, if particularly if I was talking to people who had children. Yep. And, and that was regardless of sex or regardless of how long ago they had their baby. Um, yeah. it, was, it was extraordinary that people's desire to tell you their story and knowing that you are a safe place to to kind of offload to um and yeah we carry that stuff i mean sheila kitzinger used to talk about how we will we will hold the memories of the births of our babies forever with great clarity compared to other significant events in our life and i I think that's very true 
<laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that the strength of that, but it, you know, but also because you know me, you know, that my personal focus is not on the birth so much. It's about preparation for the birth. Yes. It's about being ready when you get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah. I'm passionate about that. And I suppose that leads us very nicely into, you know, as you know, I am very passionate about dispelling the myths about doulas. Yeah. Um, and I know that you have a very strong feeling about this one. So what, what do you feel is something that you want to dispel around doulas and doulaing? Do you know what? I have to tell you, I, I wanted to spell a myth among doulas, not about doulas. Okay. And that is the idea that we are somehow deficient in our being doulas if we don't have enough medical knowledge, if we don't have enough information mm -hmm. in our brains, not at our fingertips. We've all got phones. We've all got friends. We've all got resources. But I think as well, this is partially because the last century information was largely in location. Yeah. You went to the school to read the books that were in the school and talk to the teachers that were in the school. You went to the library to find what was there. The, the time that we live in, information is in our hands, but we, we're not prepared to manage it or understand that yet. So on one level, we need to catch up with a little bit of how lucky we have it as in the ability to actually find good sound information. It's there. Yep. What we need to remember is that we are professionals. We are experts in support, yep. which is a different area of knowledge, but it's still knowledge. Yes. And it's something that you, you regularly say on our, we have weekly virtual cuppers um, in the nurturing birth community. And, uh, and I love how every single time you bring it back because I think for a lot of doulas, there is this, this expectation that they need to know it all. Yeah. They need to, I can't be a doula until I have all of this obstetric knowledge. Um, and it's, it's something we come back to. I mean, we, we, we regularly talk about how we don't like the word experts. Doulas are not experts. We are there to empower parents to be the experts in their own babies. Yeah. Um, so you regularly talk about being the expert in support. And I yes. love that. I am an expert in support. I <laughs> can't, you can't all, you know, I, I remember once many, many years ago in my twenties, getting to work with a, a conflict mediation um, group in California. Cause you know, we were doing all that stuff. And um, I asked the woman if it meant that her house was more peaceful because she was a conflict mediator and she almost weed herself that. <laughs> And she said, I have teenagers. No, it is not. Yes. yes she said, I yes, cannot yes. apply everything I know all the time. I'm human. I mean, you know, you and I both have teenagers or have had teenagers. And then that thing of, uh, you know, all the things that you've learned in your life and the things that you realize have had such a profound impact at, and in improving your life. And yet, will your teenager listen to you when you say, yeah, how about trying breathing? And they go. <laughs> I was greatly because you know the one of the other drums I bang regularly is physiology first story second yeah I always go to the body for answers about things that are happening with the body yes because that takes the whole weight of story off of it mm -hmm. I was so relieved 
to see that they can actually prove that teenagers are in a different part of their brain than us when we're yeah. talking to them yeah. because you know it you know it. you're looking them in the eyes they are nowhere you could reach yes absolutely this is a whole other podcast in itself talking about oh, doulaing doulaing teenagers and i've done two lots of doulaing gcses that's been quite something um coming back so you were talking about prepare for anything yeah um to, tell me what do you mean by that you know, it was a couple of weeks ago, and I'm only going to mention it lightly because I think we all know where we are right at the moment. But I was listening to a gentleman in Ukraine who said, prepare for anything. Mm-hmm. You're prepared for anything. And then I heard an echo of it. And I thought, you know what? That's probably a phrase in Ukrainian. And I would love to know if there's something because he was not saying prepare for everything. He was saying prepare for anything. And that moment, it really clicked for me. Of that understanding, because I think that we process things, and you know, with our head monkeys very deeply, mm-hmm. and then we hear something that's like the key to it. And it's not that we just learned it that moment. It's that our learning comes up to consciousness. And I understood that what he was saying is it's impossible to prepare for everything. You cannot. This is not humanly possible. Yes. But he felt strong enough to meet whatever comes. And especially in 21st century terms, and especially, I think, during a period of high change like pregnancy. But honestly, I think just every day, if this is going to be part of my kid. You you have to be prepared for anything, because if the last 14 years I was trying to think back to when I felt this rapidity of change started. Mm. And it's about 14 years now of just one thing after another, I could not have raised my children to expect. I couldn't have prepared for those things. And if you look at it, Sophie, going back to just as far as 1900 to the beginning of the 20th century, no mother could raise her children for the world that actually came because she couldn't have expected it. You know, if you were raising children at the turn of that century, you didn't expect the First World War gas weapons, the kind of devastation Europe experienced and conflict. And if you were raising your children, then they were telling the grace war and the last war, and they wouldn't have known that those people would have to face the next war. Yeah. You know, or the great depression, which was a created cataclysm. It's not that there wasn't food, there wasn't money. Sure. That's crazy. You know? So every decade people have tried to raise their children for a world that hasn't come. Mm -hmm. You can't prepare for everything. We have Mm -hmm. evidence. But you can prepare for anything. And I think that kind of boils down to three things. You have to be well, Mm -hmm. which isn't just being physically healthy, because we all know people who drive themselves nuts with physically healthy things. And they're not well. They're not happy. They're not at peace. They're not calm. They don't feel good. And you have a right to feel the good of your being because you're a mammal. And that's what we do. (laughs) And um, mammal revolution. I'm starting it. Um, uh, But... You also, I thought, well, what are all the things? Because I thought about think, talking to you today. And I thought, well, what am I doing that helps me? And I thought, I, I treat my wellness not like a side issue. I treat it like a foundational thing. It's the ground I'm standing on. Because I have had times in my life as I, you know, the virtual cup is a wonderful place where you can talk about what you want to and it never intrudes. But I've felt so safely respected there that I have been able to unpack that I have struggled at times in my life with suicidal ideation. Mm. And you 
lose the good of your being. Depression is not a lack of happy. It's a lack of connection to the energy that makes life want to live. Yeah. It's a horrible place to be. Yeah. And so I treasure the good of my being. And I know that I have to mind both the physiology of it, but also my thinking. And but, that ties in very closely with with what we talk about around self-care. I don't like that phrase particularly. Yeah. I need to find a better phrase for it. But, you know, as uh, most students are caregivers, we are nurturers. We want to support people. And that is a marvelous thing. Yeah. However, it's not great if we're putting ourselves bottom of the pile. If we're not looking after ourselves energetically, you know, in terms of our physical and mental well-being, then we can't be supporting other people. It's, but it's, you know what, there's a really simple shortcut to memory with that. And a very wise woman told me when I was a new mom, she said, you can't give it if you don't have it. Sure. Whatever it is, if you don't have self-respect, you will not teach your child to respect themselves. If you do not have you know, strength, you get, and it, and I am, oh, in my thirties, I was an inveterate over-promiser because I have a lot of energy and a lot of scope and I was involved with a lot of things and I would desperately want to do the thing I said I was going to do, but then I would not be able to do it because I had imagined myself to be less limited than I was by either physical energy or monetary energy or time, mm. you know, or even ability. And, and that generosity that I've seen so much in the doula world, you know, that generosity of spirit, you have to temper it with an actual comprehension of what you can give and do. And that leads me to the second part of what I think being, thank you, Smokey, being ready for anything, <laughs> yeah. ready for anything, is you have to stay true. And when I say that, because I was, I was kind of meditating on it, and I thought, what do I mean when I stay true? And that truth is to the self that you are. Yes. Because you don't know what your limits are and you've got them. You're human. Yeah. Um, and you don't know what your capabilities are if you won't actually allow yourself to honestly look at yourself mm -hmm. and do that work. And it's tricky and it's lifelong. But because I understand what drives me, like, I was thinking about it because I, I have no competition. I am not a sporty person. <laughs> I am not inclined that way. I do enjoy kicking a ball, but I don't enjoy kicking a ball with somebody else trying to kick the ball. No. That bothers me, right? Yeah. And, and I don't get a lot of charge out of winning. It doesn't. And I believe that competition is actually a drive, a useful human drive. Sure. Among the many drives that combined to get us going. Um. But if you're not honest with yourself, if you think I can think of some fluffy, bunny, kind of lovely, yummy mummies, what they used to call them, who were in denial of their competitiveness because it didn't fit the shape of what they thought they should be. Mm. So they tried to suppress it and it came out not good ways. Mm, came out sideways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if they had known about that and channeled it in, in backgammon or tennis or something and just respected it and not thought it made them seem inappropriate. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting when we try to force ourselves to fit something and we don't honestly look at ourselves. Yeah. So you have to because that's where your north is. If you're in harmony with yourself, if you have that, that's actually what integrity is. 
It means that what you are and what you feel and what you believe and what you're doing is all one thing. And integrity in itself is not always a good thing because there's people doing very bad things who believe in it. So mm. please don't think that I'm highlighting that as immoral. I'm saying it's a good idea that your ship is whole when you're sailing in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I hear that. So we've got the, the, the wellness. We've got being true to yourself. What would you say the final, the third aspect is? Actually, you know, again, and I, I, I feel lucky that I've been able to remember because I do have a strong memory. So many bits and pieces that people gave over me the years. And there was a woman when I was having a terrible struggle and, you know, not long after that, just a couple of years after my last birth. So I had small kids and, you know, crumbling relationship and very, very hard time. And she was meeting me for the first time, but, um, we knew the same social circles. And she said, you, she was an interesting woman. She said, you are like a too strong tree. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you've got to learn to bend with the wind. The trees that survive the storm bend with the wind. Wow. Yeah. And she was right. You know, you, and I, I love trees. I'm a big tree person. Really, really, really like them. Find them comforting. Talk to them. <laughs> yeah. Tree I'm hugger. a tree person too. California. Yeah. <laughs> and, but the idea, the image of having strong roots, and for me, that is knowing myself and mm-hmm. feeling well, mm-hmm. but then having a solid trunk that can bend with the wind, that can meet the storm that comes, really works. And for me, that's about flexibility. Yeah, it is. It's so about- when I'm talking to clients about a birth, I love talking about you know, what do they want for their birth? Because it's not about me. It's not about my agenda at all. It's, you know, what does birth mean to you? What would be ideal? Let's talk that through. And yeah. then let's be, let's take the essence of that. We, we do everything that we can using that information to, to make it as positive an experience as possible with flexibility, knowing that, as you've said, we cannot predict what life is going to be like. We cannot predict how a birth is going to go. I was talking to somebody the other day and um, they they were expressing that they really, really wanted to be a doula for free birth. That was their, that was their thing. Yeah. And I'm going, great. Like know, know where your desire, know where your yeah. passion is, is yeah. heading. Great, fantastic. However, as doulas, we have to be flexible. Our clients need to be flexible because we cannot predict, predict where that birth is going to go. And if for whatever reason there needs to be that transfer in, we need to be able to go with that. We need yeah. to help our clients navigate that, that change. So yeah, I really hear that. But I think that that's part of being prepared for anything is not, yeah. you know, a hippy dippy, nothing bad's going to happen. Excuse no. preparing for nothing. Um, And I think that we, you know, those of us that are natural warriors, um, (laughs) we're really better to be in an airport with or trapped Mm -hmm. on a train because we have six things in our bag that will help with whatever might come up. It's learning how not to let that spin into a mindset and keep you up late at night. That's where the line between preparing for anything and preparing for everything is. It's not possible to prepare for everything. It is possible to kind of see the shape of things that maybe you should prepare for, mm. you know, and, and having that available. And there is that kind of thing that it gives people the Wiggins to talk about, you know, like in, in Ireland, there would have been a cohort in the nineties, people that I had to understand who couldn't say the C word, which was cancer. 
Right. Um, because talking about it might invoke it. Right. Um, and there is that understandable emotional consciousness. But again, as a doula, I think that it's part of our support job to keep the ground, even yeah. when you have to mention, have you, what kind of things are you afraid of, which is, a, I think is a good start into that. But I think that, that I would want parents to understand that when they're worried, that's not a bad thing. They're paying attention. Mm-hmm. Things do happen, mm-hmm. but not to make, you know, not to think that they can worry their way into solution. Yeah, sure. And I think that's where, you know, doulas being the experts in support come in because of course people are going to be worried. Of course people are going to have fears and and thoughts. They are uh, impacted and influenced by the things they've seen, the things they've read, the stories they've heard. So we are there to hold that space, to hear them, to listen, to signpost and to help them navigate whatever choices they need to make. Yeah. And I think that that's the power, isn't it? Is the sort of being with people and witnessing them. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you know what? I'm, I feel really, really fortunate because I have to say I cottoned on to the power of witness a long time ago, quite a Mm. long time. I don't know when, but it's been part of my thinking for a long time because I realized the impact on me. And then I began to realize that that's just something humans need. That's why it's not so fun to dance alone if you if you want somebody to see it. Do you know what I mean? That's right. why dance like nobody's watching in a weird sort of way shows you how twisted up we've become. Because back when we lived in the human habitat, we all danced around together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you just think nobody was going to judge you for it. You know? Yeah. Um, we're, we're so far from home. You know, I bang this drum. I think the first habitat we destroyed was our own and we're really far from home and we all know everybody is weirder and different less generous less comfortable when they don't feel at home we literally learn use it as a term yeah and I think that when we're supporting somebody in an activity as intimate and powerful and big as birth and as the process of growing a human you know and changing your whole life and taking responsibility for another human that you're thinking of as a baby, but is actually not going to be a baby for long. Enjoy. <laughs> um, that that's a moment when what you can do as a doula is hold that ground, hold yes. that sense of safety, hold that calmness in yourself. Yeah. Hold that surety that even if the wind comes, we will bend with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm here. You are not alone because humans are not, I mean, I know there's some people who want to wander off and berth up against defense posts. Great. That's you, be you, <laughs> but most of us don't want to be alone. No. And that's what it is to be an interdependent species because it's the fact that we're a combination that makes us the humans we are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All our very diverse and interesting, different personalities and types and yeah absolutely and of course yeah there are the people who I mean my my dad is a farmer and um and I witness the cows every year calving and you know it's so interesting to see how the different cows behave in labor and some of them seek out their girls they seek out their tribe to kind of be around them and some of them go off and want to be on their own it's it's fascinating watching going back to the mammal do you, I have a, I have, do you know, I'm sure you do. Do you know uh, Esperanto? 
the mm-hmm. language that was it for anybody who doesn't know it was an attempt um by people to create a universal human language because they thought that would help heal things and it's you know weighted towards european language isn't it like 19th century but i found um that in esperanto when you say beautiful mixture it's bella mixaggio and I love, that's my kind of little personal phrase for the beautiful ordinary of humanity, yeah. for what we really are. We're a bunch of incredibly incontrovertible total individuals who are meant to combine yeah. to make something even better. Yeah, yeah, Do you know? absolutely. That's, that's physiology. That's not story or religion or politics. That's what our bodies tell us about who we are. Yeah. Absolutely. Marius, I could talk to you all day and, uh, you know, you know that. Um, (laughs) um, If people want to come and connect with you and find you, what is the best way to do that? Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, they could come to the virtual cover. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I can be found there weekly. It's about the only appointment I've actually kept in the book. If you haven't trained with Nurturing Birth, come and do a course just so you can come and meet Marius on the virtual cover. But if somebody wants to connect with me, I am available at my email, which is mothersong at protonmail.com. I think that that's, I'm not sure if it's on my Nurturing Birth listing because you guys have a lovely directory. Yeah. Um, But I'm on the directory and I'd be happy to connect with people in different ways right now in the, I'm I'm in an incredibly fortunate moment where my time is very open and very much my own as I move towards a different way yeah so I would love to hear from people who feel that they have questions or anything just no meanness right. <laughs> fabulous that's all that's that's my boundary mean people suck don't do it Jim it's me want to connect <laughs> there I am wonderful thank you so much for joining me and uh, we will get you back sometime soon because there's way 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 more to be talking about but in the meantime it was glorious to have you and thank oh, you so very sweet. very thank much you so much i really appreciate it it's lovely to see your lovely face <laughs> big love to you bye okay. see you bye you for listening to the Nurturing Birth Doula podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you've got any questions or any feedback, don't hesitate to come back to us. It's info at nurturingbirth.co.uk. And do follow us on social media at nurturing underscore birth on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find us on Facebook as well. Please do give us a review if you've enjoyed this episode. We are on Spotify, we're on Apple, and we would love to hear your thoughts about any future episodes you'd like to hear. So do get in touch. Thanks for listening. Bye.